East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is episode 72 for Tuesday, June 28th, 2011. As usual, I am Paul Fox, and joining me from his secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. And we're very fortunate to have joining us this week um, a lady who you can sometimes find on Twitter and most of the time find in a cinema somewhere in Hong Kong, uh, Shelly Chung. Shelly, welcome. Hey, everyone. <laughs> um, so we are here to talk about movies. What do we do here? We talk about movies from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. And speaking about stuff in between, I've got a little bit of a secret surprise that I put <gasps> together um, from a, a sound clip that I found particularly funny from last 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 the last episode, episode 71. Um, now, I have no musical talent whatsoever, but I had a little bit of extra time on my hands, so I threw this together. A little bit of a little song I like to call Kevin Raps. And oh, God. <laughs> here it is. Damn you, Lee Kashing, but you run my internet, so I can't. Okay, forget it. Damn you, Lee Kashing. Damn you, Lee Kashing. Damn you, Lee Kashing. You're gonna be banned. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just... I'd like to request that in an MP3 format, please. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be available for ringtones coming soon. <laughs> They're never letting me to China again. I swear. They never buy a house. I'll never buy anything here anymore. Forget it. <laughs> PCW is gonna cut my internet connection right now. I won't ever show again. This is this this is what's gonna happen. What? Uh, I'm sorry. I had to have a little bit of fun with that. <laughs> um, so yeah, Kevin Raps coming to a a non CD store near you no time soon. I, I prefer my version of Kung Fu fighting better. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that'll be for next time. <laughs> All right, let's yeah, um, let's let's get on to some news. All right, so we've got a couple of news stories to talk about this week. Um, first, a news story related to our one of our films we're talking about, and we'll be talking about two films. What are, what are those two films again, Kevin? We don't have a West Screen film this week, but we've got two East Screen films. What are we looking at? Uh, we'll be looking at Beginning of the Great Revival, the, the Communist Party movie, and uh, Wan Jing's Treasure Inn. Yeah, so those are the two films we're covering, and this first news story is about the Great Revival, coming from the New York Times, and I have to throw a little bit of a thanks out to uh, Lisa Funnell, or Funnell, if I'm saying that correctly, 
who goes by the Twitter um, handle Cinema on Fire, uh, at Cinema on Fire on Twitter. And uh, I think she posted this out a couple days ago. And I followed the link and read through it. A pretty interesting article talking about the, the film and um, some of the reactions in the West to it. Um, obviously, different schools of thought on censorship and propaganda, although I did get into a discussion about, you know, some of the Hollywood propaganda films that are out there. And then we got into talking about European propaganda films and some other stuff. I mean, there's certainly a lot to be said for historical revisionism in cinema. And we'll, we'll get into some of that discussion when we talk about the film. But I, I thought this article was um, pretty interesting. You can, you can take a look over it uh, at the New York Times. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. And um, they basically talk about the way, the way that this film is being promoted. And you've got people kind of being told to go out and watch it. Um, and you've talked a little bit about this before, some of the ways in which they're getting uh, the ticket numbers to go up. Uh, some people would say it's it's not really a fair method of generating ticket sales, right, Kevin? Well, if you have 80 million people who are Communist Party members, I mean, I think it's fairly in line with the party party policy to you know watch a movie that glorifies the party. Um, Fair is kind of a, depends how you depend how you, how you define fair, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it, I guess if you were going to go out and and they somebody made a movie called the Obama Story, and then they urged, maybe forcefully, all of the people in the Democratic Party in the states to go out and watch it, um, it's it's that kind of an idea. But then if people came out and started talking about how well it was doing at the box office you'd see the conflict of interest there. And so that's sort of what uh, this article, this this story talks about. Um, but it's a good read if you get a chance. Um, go on and read it. And we'll talk a little bit more about Great Revival in just just a moment. Um, Shelley, what what are your thoughts on this policy, though, of for, for the film? Do you think that's that's an okay thing to do? Or do you think that it should be left up to the to the people who actually have an interest in the film and they shouldn't kind of be urged to go and watch it? Well, I don't. I think in China, it's not. Uh, it's the idea of leaving it up to the people isn't really up to debate in any area. Um, for film, I, I think it's just when you make a film about the Communist Party for the ninetieth for the anniversary, it, it probably looks bad for any all parties involved if the film doesn't do well. Mm. Um, and if it doesn't do well, then people who were involved in making the film probably might have to answer uh, to some issues. So I, I think it's 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 a kind of a mix of uh, of motivations. You know, one thing is also is to you know uh, kind of uh, pay homage to the party, but also it's also you know watching out for yourself. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, if I was going to work and then one afternoon they're like, hey, you guys get the afternoon off and you get to spend two hours in the cinema, uh, you can fall asleep. But as long as you're sitting in the cinema, it's OK. I mean, I, I, I'd be OK with that, I guess, if I don't know what it's for hmm. or the I ideological. Mean, yeah, I guess if you don't have a big uh, stance on it either way, it doesn't really hurt you to go watch the movie, right? especially if you uh, find out that maybe it's uh, in your best interest to go watch the movie. Hmm. Um. In the article, it says the film claims to have a cast of 178 of the most well-known Chinese language actors, including 
Chow Yun-fat and Andy Lau. It borrows stylistic cues from popular Korean soap operas and makes Mao Zedong the Communist Party leader who died in 1976, both a romancer and a revolutionary. Um, and we'll talk about those points in, in just a moment, but the one thing that kind of sticks out, and, and I've, I've come across this comment elsewhere, is the notion that it's borrowing stylistic cues from Korean soap operas. I didn't really get that sense, um, but then again, I've not watched a ton of Korean soap operas, so maybe I'm... Maybe maybe my um, my cultural context with that is is a little bit lacking. Well, Paul, I think among the three of us, I don't think me and you are the Korean soap opera <laughs> experts here. I think we have to ask yeah. uh, uh, Shelley. Is that is that true? Uh, yeah, I didn't get the uh, Korean soap opera soap opera reference either. But I think maybe it's more of a maybe it's just supposed to be a shorthand to say that the music cues were very obvious. And that the acting kind of uh, genre references were very obvious. I mean, the, sure. the last, I think the last Korean drama I watched was part of, uh, what was it, uh, Jewel in the Palace or Daijong Gum, right? And it's like, she's always crying. I didn't see Mao crying at all. Um, so <laughs> Mao never cries. <laughs> he cries Mao inside. Mao cries for nothing. He, he Mao cries inside. Crying is weakness, and Mao will never cry. Yeah. Like Donnie. <laughs> they should have gotten Donnie to play Mao. <laughs> it's just, it, it, Mao's tears cure cancer, but he has never cried. Yeah. All right. Um, there is one point that yeah. kind of sticks out. Actually, that same paragraph, you talked about the, the stylistic cues. I ta I'm talking about the budget. Uh, the, the article says the movie cost $12 million to make. By contrast, just over 10% of movies made in China last year had a budget of more than $1.5 What the article does not point out is that those 10% make up 90% of domestic box office. Mm. You know, you got big films. You're talking yeah, about really yeah. big films that have that kind of budget. Actually, the $12 million, um, 70 to 80 million renminbi, that's actually just moderate. It's under... Blockbusters like Detective D, um, Warlords, or like uh, Bodyguards and Assassin. Those big, big blockbusters actually made for less of those. And I think the article is trying to play up that, oh, they spent, they, they threw out all this money to make it when it's, you know, it's okay. I think the budget is fairly middle ground. But even though that budget came about because they didn't pay any of the actors. Mm. But anyway, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the, I mean, that's one point I should, I should make yeah. too about the article. Uh, every uh, all all the salary went to uh, Zhang Wen and uh, let the bullets fly, right? It all went off to paying off officials. Oh wait, did I just say that? <laughs> Oops. Oops, what? All right. Well, we're going to talk more about the Great Revival in just a little bit, but for now, let's move on to a second news story. Um, this one coming from our favorite site, Film Biz Asia, um, talking a little bit about the Indian cin cinema industry. Uh, an article coming from Patrick Frader. Uh, from this past Monday, it says India is not ready for 3D. I think if you've listened to this show here before, you kind of know our position on 3D, and <laughs> uh, we don't really want to go back into that at all. But it is a fairly interesting article talking about the first locally 3D-made film called Haunted 3D, um, which was recently released, and then it goes on to um, interview um, a, not the director of the film, but another director, Karit uh, Karana, who did uh, last year's film called Tunpurka Superhero, which is a 2D film that is kind of like, I guess, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It mixes live-action and animated characters. 
Um, I, I really want to see that film. I hope I get a chance to see that at some point. Um, but he talks a little bit about why 3D is really not ready to take off uh, in Bollywood cinema or in Indian cinema. And I don't really think they need it. I mean, they've already got a, a totally different focus on production value with the, the songs and the dancing and, and everything that's sort of a component for much of Bollywood cinema. And they talk about the expense and uh, some, of, some of the different aspects and focus um, for things like quality that are still important to some directors over there. So, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, you're, you're kind of with me, Kevin, that you don't really think 3D's that great shakes, all that great shakes. And I, I'd certainly be happy to see it kind of go away. Um, yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> um, plus, I think the way that India cinema works, it's sort of similar to Hong Kong. They roll them out quickly, and um, production values are not great. Um, the the most important thing is to get them up quickly, and I think 3D would slow it down significantly, and it wouldn't work for that kind of production model. I mean, it's not going to work for a Hong Kong production model. That's why all the big Chinese 3D movies take you know a year on post production. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's going to ever work for that Indian model. I think they can have one or two tent posts a year, you know, two one or two big 3D films a year, and they're better off working on on that model instead of um. It really taking it on like Hollywood because even in Hollywood, when you have these big movies doing 3D, they couldn't even they're not even finishing them in time. That's why you have the Green Lantern. Um, that was the film was done literally, I think, three weeks before release because there weren't enough um, people working on the 3D or they didn't have enough time to finish 3D. Yeah. So if it's not working for Hollywood, it's not going to work for India. And it's interesting too that you mentioned Green Lantern because the article towards the end goes on to talk about Prime Focus which I'm assuming is a is one of the production companies there. And he says, the irony of the lack of native production um, is quite interesting when you consider that you have companies there that do the conversion of films from 2D to 3D. Um, and it, uh, it talks about um, some of the conversion that is done in Mumbai. And mm. it's handled work on films rec- recently, including The Green Lantern and... Uh, uh, what was it? Uh, not last year, two years ago, I think. Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans. Was it last yeah. year? Last year, I think, because oh, I saw God. it during the film festival. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, even though they're not really they're they're not set up to do their own that much, they're still working on a lot of Hollywood stuff because that stuff gets outsourced. Um, Haunted 3D. Uh, <laughs> what can You're I just say? Just watching this yeah. before. Yeah. yeah. I. It's you can find it. You're not supposed to find it. But if you do a search on a certain um, a certain video site, something about a tube, um, it's there for a while. It's a totally pirate copy. Um, but if you're interested to take a look at what they've done, it's obviously not in 3D. Found you, it. You, you can you can you can get a sense of the film, and uh, it's fun to watch, but not for the reasons you think. All right, enough of our 3D ranting. For we, We've met our quota for today. Or it's have we? Hour, maybe. No, <laughs> I think we haven't. Uh, in fact, what, what, you know, Shelly, why don't you jump in? What, what's your thoughts on the 3D? Do you, need, do, you, do you like it or can you leave it? Uh, I personally don't prefer watching films in 3D. Um, part of it is because I wear glasses and I really hate wearing glasses on top of my glasses. Mm. Uh, other thing is I don't think it's... it's until the, the model can be improved, it's not really a very pleasant viewing experience, I think, because it's very tiring. And the problem is that many of the 3D films that come out, they don't need to be in 3D. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I would 
be glad to watch a 3D film that's really um, made in a way that um, makes the experience immersive, like like the way Avatar was able to. But many of the other films that come out now, they're in 3D, but I don't, I'm not getting much out of the 3D experience, except for a more expensive ticket. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think that's pretty much been our our perspective as well. Uh, but Kevin, you have a story about 3D, right? Yes. Uh, apparently, <clears throat> box office for 3D films have been going down a couple of months, and Hollywood is freaking out because, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look at, uh, I think, starting with Pirates of the Caribbean, um, you have 3D screens um, taking less than, I think, 50% of the theatrical gross, and Hollywood is not happy. So... For Transformers 3, they're, they're putting a lot of pressure on it. They're going to call it the movie that could save 3D because um, the 3D process has been hyped. Um, it's also probably one of the most visually bombastic movies to come out in recent years because it's Michael Bay, so it automatically qualifies, qualifies for that. Um, so to save 3D, Michael Bay and Paramount have worked to make um, brighter 3D prints. For the for the film, um, because uh, one of the biggest uh, complaints about 3D is because of the dimmer, is the dimmer screens or dimmer glasses, or whatever. Um, so Michael Bay has has sent out um, Nook's projectionists. Um, I guess because if if Terrence Malick can do it, Michael Bay can do it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so he sent out Nook's projectionists. Uh, in addition to the um, brighter 3D prints. Um, he's also uh, sent, asked projectionists to um, set the digital prints at certain levels, uh, brightness levels, so that people can watch the movies at normal brightness, I guess, which is, you know... Yeah, I got a feeling he's got, like, one watch. guy down in a basement with um, a copy of, like, Adobe After Effects or something, <laughs> and he's just sitting there pushing up the little brightness slider... And pushing down a little contrast slider on the 3D prints and, you know, pressing the process button or something and waiting for it to all render. At least they're doing it. I'm almost betting that these kids who are working at these mall multiplexes, they're going to read it and be like, what the hell is he talking about? I just dare to press play and I leave it alone. I don't want to do anything. You know, these nooks, they have no idea what to do because they don't have, I mean, we've gotten into this before, but they don't have trained projectionists anymore thanks to digital. Um, And... Right now, it, it hasn't been suggested that this, these ultra-bright digital prints are going anywhere outside of America. So until I get some kind of confirmation that these brighter prints are being delivered to Hong Kong and elsewhere around the world, I'm sticking to 35 mil. Hmm. Do you think this is going to trickle down and affect the um, home video quality at all, though? No, because these prints are specifically for the 3D prints. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not sure how it will affect the 3D Blu-ray prints. Uh, that is a good question. Um, they might run the same same copy on later future 3D Blu-rays, but you know, regular digital prints, 2D prints should have no problems. I mean, I don't think the 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 brightness, um, the the new brightness directions are are in any way for 2D. 2D can just play regularly, normally the way they're supposed to look, and they should be they should be okay, I guess. I mean, it will probably blind me in any any brightness anyway because it's Michael Bay. So, mm. all right. But, um, no, actually, well, I, well, I had something to say. I forgot what it was. Oh, but you know, the problem is that you have this one movie that's going to save 3D. Um, you know, like we had Avatar that created 3D, and then the problem is that the you have all these imitators or you have these these things that follow and they go back and just going to fall back on the same rules and it's going to be overkill again. And how long is this? 
saving 3D thing going to last? That's my question. Well, I don't think that, I mean, you know, speaking back of, of Avatar, I mean, all the movies that we've had since then, nobody's actually done what James Cameron did, right? No, I mean, none of these films are actually using the equipment that he was using um, to, to create the effects he did. They're all kind of like slapping it on using lesser rigs or, or they're doing it in post very cheaply, right? Um, I think Resident Evil and Sanctum use the fusion, the fusion system, at least those two films. I may have to talk with um, uh, Marco Spomberg, who is like the 3D guy. Mm. <laughs> he worked with a lot of 3D stuff. Um, so I'm going to ask him which films exactly use the fusion system, but I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Sanctum and Resident Evil, but, you know, Resident Evil the same, you know, the brightness problem. You know, it didn't look that great and i mean some of the 3d stuff looked good actually that's the one movie i remember you know live action 3d looking yeah. you know good i think it was resident evil at points but other than that you know yeah you're right i mean other like clash of Titans is to be the worst example of conversion converted 3d yeah all right it is time for our east screen section and we've got two East Screen films to talk about this week. We'll be back to have a West Screen film to talk about next week. But for this week, up first, it is the beginning of the end. No, it is the <laughs> beginning of The Great Revival. And this is a film that is a prequel slash sequel to The Founding of a Party. And this film was originally going to be called... Uh, Ernest, I'm sorry, The Founding of a Republic. And this film was originally going to be called The Founding of a Party... And then right before the release, they came up with the brilliant idea of calling it the beginning of the Great Revival. Um, but revival of what? Yeah, that's, what that, 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 that's the real question here because, you know, is it, I, I've read that it's like the revival of the Chinese spirit or something. But, I mean, they're, they're talking about the introduction of Marxism and Leninism and communist ideology into China, a foreign idea a foreign system, a foreign way of thinking. So they're, they're not really reviving anything. I mean, it's the beginning of the great introduction, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is the film that we've been talking about for quite some time, both here on the show and lots of other sites have been talking about it as well, because it is the major propaganda piece for the year. Um, same director, right? Han Samping, who did the, did, uh, the founding of a party. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Han Samping and Huan Jianxin. Yeah, sorry, Han Samping is the ah. yeah. Uh, um, Han Samping is the head of the China Film Group, which is you know the the Chinese movie people, I suppose. That's right. the word. So this one jumps back in time. Uh, it starts to pick up. The story picks up around the turn of the twentieth century, um, with the decline of the Qing Dynasty and the rise of the. Uh, Nationalist Party, the Kuomintang, and some of the other competing interests that were trying to take control of China at the time. At, at the time, China was in sort of this weakened state from years of Manchurian rule, uh, or decades, literally, literally centuries actually of, of Manchurian rule. It become very, a very corrupt state. You had foreign powers coming in and carving it up and colonizing, and you had a push for reform and modernization, trying to follow sort of the Japanese model that had come about in the Meiji Restoration, um, but there was a lot, still a lot of corruption and a lot of people trying to seize power. And this is pretty much where the film um, starts off. 
It then, then builds in and goes through a series of significant historic events, um, such as the Treaty of Versailles, uh, signed shortly after World War I, which basically stipulated that the land that had been taken from the Chinese by the Germans would be given to the Japanese, thus causing further outrages uh, amongst lots of young people and leading to student movements, student revolutions, and ultimately one particular group, um, a group of young students who were following the ideas of Marx and some of the philosophies coming out of communist Russia at the time, would be founded into sort of this group that would gather steam and ultimately become the Communist Party. So that's basically uh, sort of the historic basis for which this film is set. And of course, it looks at some of the more historical figures, people like, um, who do you have? Uh, Yan Shikai, um, Mao, obviously, um, uh, Kai Yi, um, Sun Yat-sen. Chiang Kai-shek's in here a little bit, not as much as in focus as he is in founding of a republic, though. Um, lots, lots of other names. Uh, most people in the West are probably not going to know who many of these people are outside of Mao, and maybe Chiang Kai-shek, who I don't think is actually named, and Sun Yat-sen. I think beyond that, most people, especially in the U.S., are not going to know um, any of the other people popping up, um, unless they're a historian or uh, an Asian studies major. So much of this is going to go beyond um, the, the interest level, I would say. And unfortunately, there's not enough focus here, really, for people to stay interested in what's going on, right? I mean, because you've got all these characters getting introduced, um, and before you know it, one character's sort of taken out of the focus and another character replaces them, but you don't really get a solid introduction or conclusion to anyone, uh, to anyone's story, even Mao's story when that, that finally comes around. Um, so th th the film does have problems, but we're going to let our guest come on and talk a little bit about her thoughts on it because she's a bit of a film scholar and a history scholar when it comes to China. So Shelley, what did you think about the beginning of The Great Revival? Well, um, obviously, it's kind of like the basically like the Cliff Notes version of Chinese history. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great way of describing it. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's, it's the Cliff Notes like, version too. If you want to fail, right? Because you're getting <laughs> some of your some of your facts wrong in places. But yeah. Well, I mean, it's just uh, very uh, going through history very quickly. We're um, doing events and names, and everything's kind of um, put up. On the screen, you've got like the um, people identified by names, and that's the only way you'll know who they are because they come and go so quickly. And then most events, the significant events, are marked with dates and kind of little uh, captions telling you what's going on. Um, it's, it's. I wouldn't say it's historically inaccurate. Uh, I wouldn't say that at all. Actually, I think most of it is uh, the dates and the names are obviously true. The major effect, uh, events are true. Um, it's more how it's presented that is going to be the kind of the point of contention on, you know, what is the purpose of this film? Uh, it's, I actually think it's um, pretty interesting and pretty entertaining, um, if not always for the right reasons. Uh, it's kind of, it's, the film is a bit schizophrenic uh, because it, it it's, uh, switches events quickly, but uh, more interestingly, it kind of switches, switches genres while it's switching events. 
right? Because on some parts, when it's like the fighting part, when they're doing uh, uh, fighting against Ren Shikai, then they've got a uh, war film and kind of war heroics and like Andy Lau kind of like gazing off into the sky. And then at other points, when it switches over to say it's Chow Yun-Fat as the uh, warlord who declares himself emperor, then it becomes kind of this strange, like, sad, pathetic, biopic type look at how, you know, at this man who wanted to be king but couldn't be. And it kind of just keeps doing this. It just jumps and jumps and jumps. So it's very hard to follow if you're not someone who already is familiar with Chinese history. Um, I think you'd have to at least either be familiar with Chinese history or familiar with the stars in order to get anything out of this film. It's hard to be not familiar with any of the stars. I mean, you have like 170 people. You got to recognize one or two of those people, right? Well, it depends on who you are, though. <laughs> I mean, if they're just playing... Uh, because even if, um, even if you're a Chinese movie fan, you might not recognize people outside of... You know, you might recognize Chan Fat and Andy Lau, and then, then everyone else is kind of up for grabs. They're not exactly big international names. Simon so. Yim. <laughs> yes, Simon Yam as that guy <laughs> who talks for two minutes and you never see him again. Yeah, I, I think that um, Tony Lung actually had a slightly bigger role in this one than he did in the first one. Did he finally get a line? Or, or yeah, a he, had, he had a he line. He had a purpose a, would be he nice as well. He had an actual line. In the, in the last one, if you remember, if you saw the saw the, the founding of a republic, he just like runs on screen and jumps up while they're taking a photo. Yeah. <laughs> and he does a photo bomb, um, and that's it. It's like, and you still have a number of of uh, stars and actors who show up like that. I mean, the the biggest surprise to me was um, uh, Fan Bingbing as the Dowager Empress, and she's in it for like two two or three seconds, right? I, she, I don't. I'm not even. I don't even remember if she had a line. She may have had one line. Um, and, and that was it. And I was like, what a, what a strange bit of casting for this woman who was so uniquely powerful in her day and, and really had such a huge impact on the policies and the politics and, and the things that emerged. And they've got Fan Bing Bing there just looking pretty, you know, like she's, a, she's just there for a photo op. It was just kind of weird. Um, the, the amazing thing is, as I was doing some research, the film has a 45% audience rating right now on Rotten Tomatoes. And I hmm. kind of wonder who's watching it and giving it such a high rating because <laughs> I didn't think, I mean, um, I didn't think it was all that good, actually. I, I, I enjoyed looking at it from the, you know, the historic aspects of it, but as a film, I just didn't think it worked. Well, was, don't worry, don't worry, Paul. It's getting a one point nine on IMDb right now, <laughs> and, and and so nothing that shows on, like on Dobot. The, the divergence of the of 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 the critic fields. We'll talk a little bit more about the way it's being, the way criticism is being handled on this in China. And I think Kevin, you have some insight that you can share on that. Um, but f for me, you know, you you go through these key events, and and you do you can really see the change in genre that Shelley was talking about. There was one scene that really stuck out in my mind. I think Andy Lau was at a train station, and he was talking to his wife or his girlfriend, and he was going to leave, and she was so sad, and the light was like on her eyes, just like out of a you know out of Casablanca or something, and like Casablanca scene. You know, what the heck, guys? I mean, could you be any more blatant about it? Um, but then nothing else in the later scenes in the movie bring you back to that kind of sensibility or that kind of a, 
that kind of a, a, a tone or a feel. I mean, the, the, the later romance that Mao has with, um, um, I can't remember her name. Um, uh, ah, it's killing me. I can't remember her name. Uh, he was his second wife. Uh, Yang Kai Hui. Okay, Yang Kai Hui. Um, yeah, his second wife, he has this romance with his second wife. Um, but it's done, it's handled cinematically in a, in a completely different manner. Uh, it doesn't have that that same sensibility. It does really jump around a lot. But as I, I, was, I was watching this movie, and it was moving from, like, time point to time point, I kept thinking, you could just take out these time points, and you could put in better movies and make this really long, huge epic. You could go from, like, you could add in pieces of Shaolin... Um, Legend of the Fist, even though we, we all hated it. Um, the Sung Sisters. I mean, uh, you know, you could, you could later get into the war and you did have movies like The Message. I mean, much better movies. You could just intersperse throughout all of these little time stamp important moments. Um, because it really does ju just jump around a lot. Um, there, there are tons of stars. You, I mean, I was sitting there trying to mark down everybody I, I could see and I could recognize. I, ended up losing count at, at one point. Um, but yeah, no character here is really given enough focus to be relevant. And that's why the film, for me, doesn't work as a film. You want to get interested in Chai and Fat's character, but before you know it, he's out of focus. You want to get interested in Andy Lau's character, but before you know it, he's out of focus. And then Mao comes into the picture, and, you know, I for, for me, I don't want to say they're they're being inaccurate with the history, but they're leaving a lot out that's really important. And those omissions to try and make a character look different or better, or um, I, I like the way Shelley, Shelley writes it as the um, um, best man ever kind of idea. Um, I think that's a little bit disingenuous in, in some ways. I mean, because it totally, I mean, there is a little bit of controversy, and, and I'll, I'll let you talk about this, Kevin with um, Mao's first wife, doesn't have any presence here at all. And so he's given this sort of romantic scholar kind of persona when he pursues um, his second wife. And of course, there's no mention of his third wife. And between this film and the, the prequel, or the sequel, um, depending on if you're looking at it from production time or from the actual temporal order, there's no mention of his fourth wife, Zhang Qing, who is today villainized as the person responsible for all of the problems that happened. Um, none of that is put on Mao. It's almost completely put on her and uh, and her compatriots, who are known as the, the Gang of Four. So there's no mention of that here. There's no mention of that carrying on in, in, into um, the, the later film either. And so because of that, I just, I don't know, it rubs me the wrong way a little bit. It was certainly not good as a docudrama either. Um, I, for me, I kind of felt that the predecessor was actually more in, entertaining. Um, I think Kozo over at the, the lovehongkongfilm.com site, he jokes calling that one uh, a film about meetings. And I wrote that. Oh, did you, you did you write that? Yeah. That was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I and I thought about that. It makes me laugh, but it's true because it is a lot of meetings. And this one's not so much meetings. This one's events. 
And I found the meetings one a bit more interesting because it's people, it's a lot of times guys sitting in a room discussing things and, but the discussions, the acting that's going on is actually pretty entertaining, a lot more than I felt this one was. Um, and I think, I don't, I don't know, in part, it goes back to that idea that it's just jumping around a little bit too much for my taste. Um, I think the reason for the way that they jumped around this film, I haven't watched it yet, but I, I kind of have an idea now is that a lot of the criticism for the first film is that there were too many meetings. It kind of played too much like a T because um, on Chinese TV, there's a lot of shows about, yeah. you know, the building of the Republic and, and, and Mao. And they're all literally meetings. Yeah meetings after meetings and the film and, and Republic kind of end up being the same way and a lot of people criticize it. I'm not sure if important people, I guess important people criticized it. So they, for this film, they kind of had to step up or up the ante on, on the way they delivered the story, yeah. which might explain the genre shifts. Yeah, I agree. I think this film, I mean, whether you think it's more entertaining or not, is I think opinion, of course, but I think it tries to be more entertaining um, with the way it, it kind of... Um, handles different scenes that they, they make things more dramatic or more melodramatic than they have to be. And um, instead of, you know, meeting, they, everybody screams. And, every, and we all know screaming is always more entertaining. So, <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, for, for me, I would say, I would have to say, if you're going to watch this, if you're that interested, go and watch some other films to build up some context. Um, you can watch um, Tim Young's recommended watching Michael Hoy's The Warlord, which is a bit of a dark comedy, um, comedic take on the character played by Chai Yun-fat. And that's, but it's still a very good film to watch. Um, or watching The Song Sisters, um, which is about the wives of uh, both Sun Yat-sen and Chiang Kai-shek. Again, these are not historically accurate by any way, shape, or form. I mean, you could probably argue that they're their level of accuracy is just as flawed as, as either of these films, but they're far more entertaining from the filmic sense. So I'd say, you know, approach it with a little bit of, of contextual background cinematically, and then you can kind of dive into this. Um, I'd say, you know, TV it if you're interested in, in it, if you're interested in looking at the histories and seeing, you know, if there are things out of place or seeing what's omitted or seeing trying to see the interpretation that is being, you know, put forward here of Mao and the development of the party and these kinds of issues. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say it's a solid TV it for me. Shelly, what would you recommend? Uh, I wanted to say TiVo it so that you can uh, pause during the parts where you can see all the cameos and names. Yeah. Otherwise, you might miss something very important, like, you know, the appearance of Miley Wu. Well, <laughs> was she in it? Did I miss her? Where was she? She was one of Yuan Shikai's concubines. Oh, I missed it. Dang it. <laughs> I blinked. I was I was so busy um looking for uh um Tongwei? Uh yeah. Tongwei was <laughs> completely cut, right? Um and people like Lee Holm, right? Um But no, it's funny that you mentioned TiVo it because this is gonna be up on China streaming sites. Fairly soon, right? If it if it isn't already, the sooner the better, I say. <laughs> but no, not yet. Not not yet. No. Yeah, but I mean that's the plan. It's like, you know, I mean, just like any other big commercial films. Yeah, it will end up on you know streaming, legal streaming, end up on DVD fairly quickly. I think within a month or two, mm. I would expect. Yeah. Yeah. And and so then we're gonna tie you to a chair, Mister Ma, and we're gonna force you to watch it. 
Uh, Are you gay? That was me being scared. <laughs> that was me being scared. <laughs> that was my gaps. Yeah. Right, so, what do you think? Are we going to get any more films of this nature? I mean, uh, a film focusing on, um, I, I don't know, Liu Shaoqi or uh, uh, <laughs> Chiang Shek, not not Chiang Kai Shek, um, um, Deng Xiaoping, or you know, what are big big anniversary? I mean, Communist Party anniversaries are we looking at here? I mean, 90th anniversary. This 90th anniversary, uh, Republic was what 60th anniversary of the of the country of the nation. Yeah. So what what big anniversaries are we coming up? On? I mean, 10 years later it'll be a hundredth anniversary. What are they gonna do? <sighs> are they gonna do? Uh, that's too far off to think. <laughs> but we've got an anniversary coming up this Friday, don't we? We didn't get married, did we? Wait. <laughs> Wait. No, we what? got a holiday. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. It's the, yeah, that's the official, well, not only is that official, um, the anniversary of the establishment of the Great Communist Party, that is also the day I call Hong Kong went to hell. Well, I mean, the handover. Yeah, that's the handover <laughs> from Hong Kong, uh, from British back in China. Yes. So yeah. that's the. So we've, so we've got a holiday this coming Friday. It's the the date of the return uh, from the, the British colony. Uh, the British Crown government to China, the reunification or the handover day. Uh, what are you guys going to do? Watch Korean soap operas. <laughs> I, I am going to march uh, at Victoria from Victoria Park down to Central um, for the cost of something. <laughs> I have decided which side one, I'll one, be on. one of the many causes, right? Uh, I will be either on the side of the cops. Uh, who wants more vacation time or the people at the leisure department who wants to clean public pools more often. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I will be at either of those, yeah. Uh, that sounds good. I will be marching with the people who want uh, Eric Zhang to become the next chief executive. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be I'm gonna be also thinking about marching with the people who want Nick and Cecilia to get back together. Uh, there you go. Yeah, that's yeah, a worthy cause. Be a small crowd. If yes. ever there were one, right? Think of the children. Oh, no. Won't yeah. somebody please think of the children? <laughs> All right. Well, um, you know, the, the, we talked a little bit about the the criticism, and we talked a little bit about the New, the New York Times article, um, and it meant, and I and I just mentioned a little bit about this film and uh, the the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and Kevin, you mentioned IMDb, but. China's kind of cracked down on letting people talk about this film on review sites in the mainland, right? That's right. Um, there are two major movie user-reviewed sites on in China. Um, one of them is called M-Time. Uh, the other one is called Doban. Doban is the one I use. It's closer to IMDb where people really put give movie stars and they're broken down into averages and things like that. Um, on Doban, apparently an opening day... Um, the movie was voted down immediately, down to a 3.8 out of 10, with 88% of people giving it one star. So the site um, immediately shut down the system. Uh, they shut down the scoring system for the film, so now you cannot score the film. You cannot leave a comment on the film. Um, reportedly, that's the same thing that happened to M-Time. I don't use it so often, so I haven't looked at it. Um, but meanwhile, um, on Weibo, which is the Chinese Twitter, sign a Weibo, they left... Um, a dedicated page for people to leave their comments about the film. Sadly, what they didn't anticipate is that people would say things like, uh, many of them would say things like, my office is taking me to the founding of a party today. 
my office is forcing me to go watch it today. My office is going there today. The entire team is going there today. Or um, this film sucks. Or um, um, there's now this sarcastic comment about um, it's North American gross, uh, praising it for grossing a total of 60,000 American dollars over a weekend. And now it's the talk of apparently everyone in America because it made sixty thousand hmm. um, dollars. Things like that. They didn't. They can't control these. And it's been most of it is 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 um, negative, sarcastic comments. Uh, of course, once in a while you see like a praise, you know, saying, "Oh, the film is not bad. The film is quite good." But most of it is really sarcasm, um, whining about how how they can't watch Transformers and Harry Potter, um, or how they're forced to watch it. One person even said. I saw Pretending Lovers. It's better than the beginning of a great revival. You know, when a Huambo movie is being praised <laughs> uh, as better than, you know, founding, you know, the founding of a party movie, I'm not sure if the Communist Party would be very happy about Well, there you go. That's the perfect person to play Deng Xiaoping in the Deng movie. Huambo right? <laughs> as Deng Xiaoping. Well, instead, they got super former super no junior. It yeah. doesn't matter if the cat is black or white as long as he's got scraggly hair like Huambo. So... <laughs> So there you go. I mean, the, the, the criticism is not totally shut down. There is still discourse going on. There is still things being said about the film, but not exactly on its most popular forum. And they're not, you know, they, yeah, it's, it's not as open as it should be, but it's not completely closed either, I guess. What's the film doing in terms of numbers? I mean, is it, obviously it's going to be a little bit skewed because of, of of the types of attendance that's going on, but does it look like it's going to uh, beat its predecessor or come in a distant uh, a distant length behind it? Well, we talked about this last week. Um, the film had a kind of underwhelming opening, um, considering it's, if you look at uh, per show averages and things like that. And I was um, speculating that they're waiting for the big weekend this weekend um, with the anniversary and the party. Uh, and holidays to really beef up box office this weekend. So, um, like I said, if even if it's going to really flop, you know, the Communist Party would not let it flop. If you know what I mean, mm. they'll do anything to make sure it doesn't flop. Whether they're just gonna print tickets and just and just throw them away, or 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 just add in, you know, subsidize the box office. Whatever they're gonna do, this movie is not going to flop. And um, the New York Times they actually quoted, which I'm really surprised. They quoted a theater manager who said. If this movie doesn't make 800 million RMB, nothing else foreign is going to open. Uh, Transformers is not going to open. Harry Potter is not going to open. But plenty of other Chinese films are opening to, I guess, you know, give the illusion of competition or something like that. I mean, uh, Peter Chan's movie is opening next week. Uh, you have these. You still have big movies opening. But I think somehow, some way, this movie is at least um, on paper is going to, of course, pass its predecessor. Hmm. Interesting. So they're going to keep the Transformers hostage. All right. But no one keeps Donnie hostage. He's still coming out July 4th. Ooh, Donnie. Day of Freedom. Why wasn't Donnie in beginning of the Great Revival? That is a good... Is he not in there? Because he was in Republic. Yeah. Well, he was the flag guy, right? He was the guy who wrote the song. He was a song. Oh, yes. <laughs> Donnie, the songwriter. Yes. Oh, that's right. He wrote the song. <laughs> were, they, were they also discussing the flag in that scene? I think so. Yeah, I, they were, I they seem were to remember like him running up in front of the flag or something and like raising his arm up high. I, uh, I think they were like talking about how the star should be played. Yeah, it was anyway. Mm. Donnie the songwriter. 
Uh, Donnie. All right. Speaking of Donnie, uh, Lost Blades been coming soon, right? Yes, coming out on DVD. Available on YesAsia.com. <laughs> You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. We've got another East Screen film to cover this week, and that is the latest Wong Jing feature, Treasure Inn. So, Kevin, since you got to bow out of watching The Great Revival, because you had better political things to do, I'm going to make you talk about Treasure Inn. Wow. Why? Why, Paul? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. I'll I'll talk about Treasure Inn. Treasure Inn is the latest film by um, Wan Jing, writer, director, producer, um, actress, comforter, Wan Jing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) I don't know whatever Can I put that on a CV? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sure he already has. Um... So this is his latest film. It's a period film. I don't know how... Oh, he. I guess it's his first period film since um, His Majesty's Secret Service. Um, another film made for the Chinese market. Um, he has labeled this film as uh, a period version of Color of the Truth with comedic elements. And I quote, uh, and I quote exactly what he said. Uh, the film stars Nick Chun and uh, Nicholas Say, um, I guess in the first pair up since Stool Pigeon. Um, which is something that Wanjing always does. Wanjing always puts these, you know, hot pairings uh, of actors, actresses, whatever, in, into his films. And which, which makes me wonder. Either I think it was Andy Lau who said he would continue to do Wanjing movies because Wanjing gave him his break, big break in, into movies or something like this. Pretty much, yeah. When it, Andy it makes Lau... me. It makes me wonder about you know these guys. I mean, are they just looking to you know goof around or do they do they owe a favor to Wang Jing I mean this is not something that that would happen in Hollywood so much right I mean you wouldn't see somebody you know going and winning an Oscar and then you know going back to um, make smaller films necessarily right well here's the thing Um, I think well first the, the film was made before the Hong Kong Film Awards, um, even though actually it was made after Nick Chen, of course, won the Best Actor Award. Um, and also, I think Nick Chen sort of has similar attitude with Wan Jing because uh, it was Wan Jing who gave Nick Chen pretty much the chance to become a lead actor. Uh, films like The Calm Man and many, well, many films. Actually, his whole comedic, um, the whole his whole comedic streak was mostly Wan Jing movies. So I'm sure it's almost the same deal with Andy Lau is because Wang Jing was the one who gave him a chance. And, you know, it's almost always that if Wang Jing asked him to be in the film, he would probably do it. Um, Nicholas Say also has done Wang Jing films. And um, neither of those actors are known to be particularly picky about their roles, I guess. Hey. Um, <laughs> I just say, I would say, and, and you know, it's, it's not like... Hong Kong actors have not been, you know, except for, I guess, Tony Lun Chiwai, because you go, he's Tony Lun Chiwai. Um, except for him, you know, most Hong Kong actors are not really particularly picky about roles. You know, Andy Lau still once in a while, well, not anymore, but I mean, up to a few years ago, he still did, you know, 
small comedies or smaller comedies. I mean, he just did uh, a smaller drama of Dini Yip, uh, even though it's his own company. So I don't think there's that kind of thing going on where you know you win a best actor and you forget you know who helped you before that kind of thing. So so it's almost so it's totally expected that they'd be in a Wang Jing movie for some reason. I'm not. I'm totally wasn't. It didn't really jump out at me that. Oh, they're too good for Wang Jing because seriously, who is too good for Wang Jing in Hong Kong anyway? Um, anyway, Treasure Inn is a period film. Uh, Nick Chen and Nick Say they play two uh, low class, I guess, policemen, constables. Yeah, I think that's the word, constables uh, in a small town, uh, and they uh, run into a murder uh, committed by this team of uh, martial arts experts, um, and on their way, somehow they, they run into uh, this MacGuffin called the White Jade Goddess or something. I mean, it doesn't really matter what it is. It's a MacGuffin. Uh, and to go after this, when they get this MacGuffin, then they get the bad guys. So to get this MacGuffin, they enlist the help of um, a pair of sisters um, played by Kitty Zhang and Charlene Choi. And they go together to uh, the desert where there's a place called Treasure Inn. And it's Treasure Inn where they have a yearly auction of um, valuable goods. Uh, so they expect that they will find both the bad guys and the MacGuffin um, at this inn. Um, that's pretty much really the plot. I mean, from the opening of the film, you have the, the credit sequence um, where um, the anime... I think that's the best part of the film, actually, opening sequence. You have the opening credits. You have um, these anime, computer animation you know, fold-outs of the actors. And it's played over this... Um, wannabe Ennio Morricone soundtrack. So it kind of suggests that Wang Jing is kind of making a, a Chinese spaghetti Western here. Uh, and that's really the most intriguing thing about the film, trying to see how Wang Jing is trying to make a spaghetti Western and failing completely at it. Um, it has blatantly bad, bad, bad writing. It has not very good acting. I mean, they're kind of all over the place. Uh, the plot is kind of unengaging. In other words, it's kind of business as usual for Wang Jing. Uh, so I, it's easy to put those aside because he's very consistent at those three things. So in that sense, you know, Treasure Inn is actually okay for a Wang Jing, Wang Jing film. Um, it has a coherent, relative coherent narrative. The plot is a little lazy, but at least it makes sense. Um, the two Nicks are fun together. Um, Nick Chung kind of brought back his old comedic style, you know, playing the comic relief while Nick is the uh, cool, handsome hero. Um, on my left, there was a girl, a teenage girl, who pretty much spent most of the movie saying, or... Nixay is so cute! Yeah, gushing, <laughs> gushing about Nixay being cute to the point where I, I, I kind of joined in, but only to mock her. <laughs> yes, yes, really, to mock her, not because Nick Nixay is... See, I thought you were being serious the whole time. <laughs> no, I was really thinking about Hogaking, really, seriously. Hogaking was like, yeah, Hogaking. Um, but yeah, they're, they're good together. They're fun together. I, I don't think Nick, the two Nicks really had um, such a... Well, okay, Stool Pigeon was kind of it, but they really, never really paired up before, right? Like this. If I remember. Um, well, no, they were in... Um, Beastalker. Yeah, Beastalker. Beastalker, but in separate... I mean, they were separated you know, from most of the movie. So they didn't have this kind of buddy... They never had this kind of buddy, you know, team up thing. Yeah. Go, yeah. Uh, Still, opinion is the closest thing, and they're fun together. I mean, they're doing a comedy here, so you know, I guess that's something to be expected. I can't really say they make a great team, but I think that's mostly due to the writing. I think Nick, Nick say is too cool for 
comic relief Nick Chun. I mean, he's Nick Chun is really incompetent. I mean, even more incompetent than most Wanjing comic relief characters. And Nick Nick Say is almost too cool, you know. So in a way, they don't really make a great team. But you know, I think they have a lot of fun together. Um, it was great to see Nick doing his own comedic thing. You know, I he's the best actor winner, but you know he is still wear the fake teeth and and you know do the whole silly Wanjing thing, and that's fine. That's fun. Um, action is okay. I know that you, Paul, um, and Kozo, there. You know, you guys are more impressed with the action than I was. Um, I think it was okay. Um, I didn't really think much out of it. Um, it didn't really jump out at me. The problem is that the most of the film, you know, is not that engaging. Um, it was entertaining in a way and it was fun in a way, but it didn't feel like it needed to be made. It didn't really bring anything new to the table. You know what I mean? Um, there's more CGI and I think that's about it. The, the team, uh, the team is kind of fresh, uh, but those are the two, two things, but, uh, it doesn't really jump at me as anything new for Wanjing. Um, I would say, uh, for my rating, I would say TV it because, you know, if it wasn't made for the China market, you know, Wanjing would have made this movie for tv anyway um so i think it's perfectly fine on tv um however i talked to tim youngs about it and tim youngs he first saw a copy of it actually on video and he really didn't like it and he liked it better than theatrical so um i guess it might work better theatrical than tv because i haven't watched it on tv before but the whole thing just kind of felt like it's something that i might enjoy more as background fodder on tv i think <laughs> but that's that's just me so all right guys uh take on treasure in yeah, Shelly, why don't you jump in? Um, actually, I thought Treasure Inn was a lot better than I expected, uh, mainly because I was going in with very low expectations um, due to certain people telling me that it would be awful. Uh, <laughs> so if you go in with low expectations, actually, I think it comes out with me playing out a lot better than... than it, it, I mean, it's Wang Jing, but it's, I think it's, it's Wang Jing crap, but I think it's, it's, it's on the higher end of Wang Jing crap than the lower end. <laughs> And yes, it does exist when we're talking about Wanjing. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's just a fair way to say. It. Yeah, it's a higher end of Wanjing crap. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a mole tell period comedy, and I think it's 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 it, you know it's not always funny, but there are parts that will make you laugh. And if a movie can make you laugh out loud, you know, more than a few times, it's already more successful than many other comedies. And the thing is also, I think that the having Nick Chung and Nick Say in a comedy is actually, uh, it's nice to see again. Because Nick Chung hasn't done a comedy since he became a serious actor. And this is his first comedy since after he, you know, did Beastalker and then everybody decided he was great. So it's kind of nice to see him go back and kind of do the goofy uh, comic uh, guy again. And Nick Say almost never does comedy, actually. Um, if you look at his filmography, he really doesn't do comedy. Um, so this type of role is actually, I think it is a bit something a bit new for him. I mean, even though he's still playing off his kind of cool character, I think it is a different type of film for him in some ways. And, you know, the people are pretty. Action is okay. I think it's worth watching. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... I what was this movie about again? <laughs> <laughs> when Kevin was explaining the plot, I was like, wow, it sounds so much worse when you say it. Like yeah, that. it's, um, you know, so, okay, so everybody has to go to the inn to buy stolen stuff, and it's an inn in the desert, right? I mean, it just seemed like a really, 
I understand they're trying to kind of tie it into the sort of Silk Road concept, but this inn was like huge and they had lots of people there and it's in the middle of nowhere. I'm thinking, where do they get their food? <laughs> where do they get their water? You know, I'm, I'm overthinking. Well, you know, we know where they get their water from underground. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, but if you look at the interior, it's only like one living room. <laughs> yeah, but it was just like, I mean, it was huge. It was made out of these huge logs. I'm like, how do they get that stuff out there? And then... You gotta Wait, Paul, are you expecting logic? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I was it's, I, it was it was it was a long day that day. But I you know, as American I'm thinking, dog. all right, you're gonna go all the way out. You're gonna drag this huge uh, Gunyam Buddha uh, made out of jade, this huge heavy thing, all the way out there into the desert. There's no roads, you know. And then you're gonna have to, whoever's gonna get it's gonna have to take it all the way back. It just seems like a very <laughs> It just seems like a very inefficient way to do a transaction. I don't know. You know it's just like me. the American version. I, I just want to see someone like come up from the sign. We should have gone to the hotel six. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Um, but yeah, it was not as bad as I expected. Um, so I do. I agree with Shelley on that. I, I had fun with it. But then again, as I thought about it, this is coming off of Wong Jing's last two stinkers, which were um, Men Suddenly in Love and then Microsex Office. So... Yep, he's kind of only got one direction to go, and that was up. So it's not. I don't know about that. <laughs> With Wang Jing, there are always lower lows. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe that's true. But it, it was it was definitely better than I was expecting. Looking at the trailer, it it didn't look all that. It, it's certainly not new. I mean, you've I've seen films like this before, uh, based on a lot of the same themes. Not really in in quite the same mole tao genre that this finds itself, but, you know, you can certainly see similarities with um, lots of other period pieces, films like uh, Dragon Inn and, and and lots of earlier stuff too. Um, but it was fun to see Nick and Nick kind of hamming things up. I really would have liked this, though, if their roles would have been reversed. You know, having having uh, Nick say be the one wearing sort of the, the fake buck teeth and and playing the sort of the, the, the ugly, silly guy, and let, you know, uh, let Nick Chung be the, the cool, and, you know, let, let them not be sort of, the, sort of the stereotypical roles that you'd expect them to see. I think that would have made it maybe a little bit better, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I really got into the action direction here. They've got some, they, they sort of go back to traditional form. They avoid using CGI for most of the fight sequences for the most part. Um, there, there is some wire work, but I was, I was really liking what I was seeing for the most part. Um, they do have some CGI that's kind of thrown up in the end. You get these sandstorms and there's like this big, huge sand tornado. I don't know. I could be wrong cause it, I don't remember much about the film, but I thought that that was kind of the same thing that happened at the end of Treasure Hunter, wasn't it? Didn't they have like a huge, like CGI sandstorm that came through and, and everybody had to ride out the storm. Well, I think it's just kind of like the law of filmmaking. If you pull a gun in the first act, you have to use it. So if you pull out a desert in a movie, you have to have a sandstorm. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's just the rule. Uh, I, I don't know. There, there, there did yeah, seem to be the quicksand. Yeah, yeah quicksand, sandstorms. Yeah, quicksand was uh, people the, jumping The quicksand off was sand. actually pretty good because they, they had the guy had um, the guy had a horse. Or, yeah, because or, they or threw they threw a real production assistant into a sand. Yeah, it was <laughs> like <laughs> they left the body behind, and that. <laughs> yeah, it's buried. Yeah, you know. um, 
You know, it's gone from film school. But that, yeah, the 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 CGI did kind of look kind of a blah by the end, I would say. Um, but I'd say, yeah, it's a see it. It's it's worth a matinee in in my book, and especially if, um, you know, Shelley wrote in her notes that if you watch it with a group, you'll have a lot of fun, and and I, and I did. Um, and so if you like comedies and you you like the period piece, you can get a get a sense of that. Um, the, the ladies, I don't know, we didn't really talk much about the ladies because Charlene Choi is here as sort of the love interest for, um, Nick, uh, uh, Nick Tse's character. They were together too in, um, what was it? The, 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 the weird monkey king one, um, uh, uh, Chinese, uh, tall, Chinese tall story. Tall story. Yeah. I don't That's know. Right. I, also I, police new, new, new police, police story. story. Yeah. yeah. Together ish. Yeah. I, 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 I don't really see them pairing off well I've, I've never really felt that they they had a really good chemistry together well nick was always too cool and charlene was permanently like a 16 year old trapped in a 27 year old's body yeah so i don't think that yeah it and just, it's kind of it's kind of the same here um i think it might have even if the if the romantic roles had been switched a bit it might have worked a little bit been a little bit more interesting with you know kitty zhang uh being paired up with with nick but I don't know. That's that's just me. But yeah, I I enjoyed it. I'd say it's it's definitely worth uh, a matinee. But talking a little bit about the CGI, uh, we got into this discussion and sort of after the movie, we we're sitting around talking about stuff. What do you think about how a film like this would show up on Blu-ray? Do you think that the the quality of Blu-ray makes the production value of the CGI look even worse? Well, we didn't watch it exactly the best theater. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Let's face it. Um, it depends on how well the mastering is done. I mean, if the film is shot in film and the CGI is done, you know, the best format possible. I mean, um, I think it will be fine. You know, I mean, CGI is always going to look a little unnatural, I guess, Hong Kong CGI. Um, especially since it's done by the same company that did uh, Future X-Cops. So... I don't think the special effects will look any better or worse on Blu-ray. Hmm. Um, it's going to carry over the same way it looked on film. Um, if anything, it's the live-action shot that might look better. The color timing will be a little better um, because, you know, you have time to actually tweak it. Um, well, the projection was, you know, be... I was looking at the trailer on YouTube, and the trailer, the colors and everything looked great. And I was thinking, man, that theater we were watching it is really bad. <laughs> Yeah, well, the film has a really bad yellow tint, which I think they were trying to do this, you know, desert, deserty, um, um, you know, western look of it. But yeah, the I think the yellow dirty tint really hurt the film. Um, but I'm not I'm not sure if that's a color timing problem. I don't think there's projection problem. I think that's really more of the color timing problem when they when they printed the films hmm. so it's not really the, the theater's fault for having bad colors if anything having that really small 50 inch screen actually should help concentrate things and make made it look if it's in focus it made everything look even better than yeah. on the big screen like at a dynasty except there was a handprint on the screen <laughs> yeah <laughs> and our friend who tried to take a picture of it almost got kicked out of the theater yeah almost, almost went 3d seconds then on him i was gonna say funny um so yeah, I I don't know. I I I'm going to have to wait and see um when uh, what is it? Uh, virtual Recall comes out on Blu-ray and how bad the effects in that actually look. East green, west green.
right. Well, that's our e-screen section for this week. No West screen. We'll have a West screen next week. Um, but why don't we take a moment to talk about, uh, since we have Shelly here, uh, coming films. What's what's on your radar? What what, what would you uh, advise people to look out for, Shelly? <laughs> <laughs> Any big stuff in, coming in the summer you're excited for from Hong Kong or from Hollywood? I, I look forward to the bad stuff. So I'm looking forward to the uh, the, the Chrissy Child volleyball movie. Which and is um, Beach Spike, which will be next week, I think, right? Uh, two weeks. Two weeks? Well, yeah, next week. Yeah. The seventh, yeah. And okay. I look forward to the other bad summer beach movie that has Alex Fong. Ah, uh, the Alex idol Fong. movie. Do we have a name for that yet? I don't uh, remember the English name. Something summer, summer hot babes. I don't know. <laughs> summer like that. I don't know. Summer babes, hot heat, sun. That sounds like sunny, the sunray. Sun sounds Asia. like something you're gonna use for the that uh, what is it? Shark Night 3D movie. You know, summer <laughs> shark, hot bait. bait. Yeah, shark summer hot babes. Some somebody, somebody was talking about a film in a. In Australia or somewhere yeah, where... Yeah, the, the tsunami shark movie that's called Bait. Yeah. The Australian, Singapore, also rumored to be China co-production. And it's yeah. like, so so if I understand it correctly, there's a there's a tsunami or there's a typhoon or something that comes through, floods them all, partially, I guess. And, and so sharks people are trapped in the mall and some of the mall is flooded. So they have to, they have to get in the water at some point and there are sharks in the mall, right? Obviously they saw Super Typhoon and they figured that one scene with the little tiny baby shark in the factory would make a good movie. I, I and guess that so. Would be... <laughs> oh. Hey, don't be dissing Super Typhoon. Hey, hey, hey. Super Typhoon is a disaster. is a master is a masterpiece in the disaster genre, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. That's what I would say. Yeah. All right, how about you, Mister Ma? What are you uh, What are you looking forward to in the weeks to come? Um, I really I'm starting to really look forward to uh, Wuxia. I guess it's now called Swordsman. Um, Why the name change? I, I don't think it's really a name change. I'm pretty sure this one of the alternate. I guess Wuxia is not really an English title. They kind of figured that out finally. Mm -hmm. um, and I think after Weinstein's gave it that really terrible dragon title, they figured they probably thought, "Hey, we should give it our own title instead of you know having these guys decide." But so I, um, I, you know, I mean, Swordsman I, make a make, makes a better title than you know. Well, if you look at the trailer, there doesn't seem to be a lot of sword fighting going on for the, for much of it. I mean, I don't know, um, but Swordsman itself as a as a title for a Hong Kong film is already. I mean, that's kind of like calling a ghost movie coming out a, a Chinese ghost story. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, even though it's not that story. You're I mean, right. Swordsman is 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 a, is a classic film for many people who like Hong Kong cinema. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Well, it's. I think they just changed the A to an E, so now there's multiple Swordsman. <laughs> Genius. Oh. Genius. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean Wuxia. I know Wuxia in that the culture or whatever they're doing, it makes more sense because it's a Wuxia movie and Wuxia kind of um, uh, it's it's referring to a martial arts hero. But they can't really call a movie martial arts hero because it sounds like a you know bad university produced documentary, um, and it just didn't work. So I mean, Swordsman, I think it's an okay title, but I mean, nevertheless, it's a it's starting to look better and better. Um, I kind of. 
I actually Donnie is the thing I look least forward to in the film. I think everything else looks great. Um, I, 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 I can't get that much from the trailer, but what I do get is they ought to name it like CSI Chengdu. Yeah, it's really you know? similar to CSI, which Peter Chan has said he's already cut some of it out because uh, of the feedback in, in, in Cannes. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it, it's going to be a big film. It's going to be a big blockbuster, blockbuster. And it's nice to see Peter Chan finally, you know, scaling back a little bit in terms of his films. Um, you know, after Warlords, he kind of couldn't go any bigger. So it, it's good to see him doing a you know more smaller story in a way. Um other, other anything else? I think in China, I mean, there's also um, "Rest on Your Shoulder." That's the Jacob Chan movie. After the feuding about the the final cut, uh, I'm a little little interested in seeing how how it comes out now that the director gets his gets his cut in the cinema. Um, Liu Fengdao, the the pretending lovers, um, just to see what kind of mess is turned into after the distributor cut uh, fired the director or the director quit and and cut you know like 15 minutes out of it. Um, those are some things I look for. The Hong Kong is not really exciting summer. No, today I just found out the there's a Herman Yao movie coming out at the end of August. Um, a kind of a period movie called I think The Warrior from the Mirror Lake, uh, The Legend of the Lady of something like that. But yeah, it has it has a really weird cast. It has Huan Yi, Anthony Wong, and Pat Ha, and Dennis To. Uh, and it's kind of like this dealer tradition now. Herman Yao has this movie coming out of nowhere at the end of August. Um, and Herman Yao movies always, I guess, worth looking forward to. So mm. those are stuff. Yeah. All right. That sounds like an action-packed summer or not, depending <laughs> on whether you consider Beach Spike action. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to all of that, and especially anything we can watch in that tiny cinema at China Chem with the yeah. handprint on the screen. All right. I think that's a show. I don't know. What do you guys think? What are you asking me for? <laughs> We're I'm all the in guest. this together. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's uh, that's uh, at least everything we wanted to cover. We did get a couple comments over on the website. Uh, if I can get to the website. Why is my internet slow? I can cover this. We have seven comments. D- David Harris uh, talking about the UK version. Of the Founder Republic DVD with what the hell is this cover? <laughs> Sorry, go back. Anyone just go back and click on that on that link in, in, in Comcast, the, the episode number 71. Uh, David Harris has a link <laughs> to the UK DVD of Founder Republic, and it's the greatest DVD cover since That's I think awesome. the, the British version of Infernal Affairs. I'm gonna have to. Yeah, that really is. It's almost like um, Legend of the Fist, Fearless, and uh, unmade Buddhist action movie starring Jackie Chan put together. Yeah, and that's found. That, in that is classic. Wow, that is an awesome cover. Um, yes, I definitely recommend this for that cover. I'm, I'm gonna if I had to buy gallons China Blu-ray uh, DVD just to replace the box, I'm gonna buy that to yeah. put in my put in my China DVD. That is definitely a better cover than the actual cover. Of course. Of course, because I think that's a better movie than the actual movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, a movie about Founder Republic and Mao isn't even on it. It looks like Jackie uh, Chan's playing Mao. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, he, is, is he doing that, that Buddhist hand? Anyway, Buddhist palm, whatever. Anyway, okay, moving on. Um, UK release of Detective D only has a Mandarin soundtrack. Um, 
that that debate is going to take a while about you know where the film should be watching Mandarin or Cantonese because both had its merits. Um, I still prefer the Cantonese version, you know, because you get all the actors' original voices, and also Trey Hark is a Hong Kong director, so it makes sense for the film to be in Cantonese for me. Um, that's my take, uh, Paul. What, what did think? what did we watch it in here? I can't remember. Cantonese, Cantonese. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm okay. I it doesn't matter to me as long as they've got sync sound. That's what I want more than anything. I don't care if they've got half the actors speaking Cantonese and the other half speaking, you know, Mandarin. If it's their original, you know, language that they're using, as long as it's sync sound. It, it, when when it gets dubbed, it starts to sound canned and studioish and. And I've always hated that. But whoa, here's the thing: I have checked out parts of the the, the Mandarin dub, and you have you do have more actors speaking in sync sound just because you have more mainland actors. Yeah. You have the mainland actors speaking in sync sound, but of course, it's impossible for the Hong Kong actors to do so because they're all speaking Mandarin on set. Yeah. Um. So it's yeah. I it does. I, you typically I'll listen to a can if it's if it's both dubbed and non sync sound on both tracks. I'll typically go with Cantonese. Okay. How about you, uh, Shelley? Preference? Cantonese, because that is my language of choice. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they packed in more information in the Cantonese track, if I remember correctly. I mean, you know, Trey Hart's scripts have, like, tons of exposition. And he is, like, the master of fitting in these exposition dialogue when the camera is not on any actors. And just like, okay, here, sneak in the dialogue. Here, sneak in the dialogue. Yeah. And Trey Hart is, like the guy the man who does that the most and just kind of see him bring doing that in the in the cantonese dub of detective d is kind of amusing you know i i guess an an exception to my rule would be if there's a movie where it's not saying sound but the dialogue makes sense in a different in a non-cantonese language like i'm thinking of um uh chayun fat jung wen uh, let the bullets fly. Let the bullets fly. Yeah, you know where they're they're dealing with dialects and things. Yeah, and also so, that film was shot in sync sound for yeah. Mandarin. Yeah. So I can't even watch the Xichuan Xichuan dub because the whole thing is dubbed. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm I'm sticking with the Mandarin version because that's except for Chow and Fat, everyone is shot in sync sound in that film. Matt S. Uh, talk about the Green Lantern. Uh, I mean DC. Um, he says. That I know if some of the DC dissonance stems from the fact that many of the other characters are ill-suited to follow Batman down a Dark Knight path. Um, it works well with martial arts and batarangs, maybe not so much with green space rings, kryptonite, and magic lassos. Marvel heroes have always been a tad down, more down-to-earth and fallible with relatable human problems, and maybe that's part of the reason they make for more cohesive films. And I am, for one, I'm not familiar with Neither Universe. I'm not familiar with comics in general. But he he does bring up a, well, okay, except for Thor. I mean, Thor is like, you know, that's that's Greek Greek mythology in space. That's Norse. Norse mythology. Norse. Norse. <laughs> Norse. Sorry. Oh, God. <laughs> White people culture. Don't get it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but that's the, okay. Yeah, but the, you, he is right. I mean, look at uh, even Iron Man dealt with, you know, alcoholism and you know more serious down-to-earth issues uh, batman wait that's dc sorry <laughs> marvel uh, iron man's when it comes to mind you know incredible hulk in a way also comes deals with daddy issues the first movie um and i think that's kind of true you know marvel heroes superheroes do deal with more 
down to earth issues, you know, in addition to, you know, the super special effects that they're dealing with. Um, and maybe that's why. And plus, I guess there's that whole thing about them trying to create this this unified world uh, yeah. where all the films tie up together. And maybe that those are the things that make Marvel films um, consistently worth following. But, you know, that's my thing. What do you think, Paul? I think you, you know these universes. Yeah, I think, I think he's probably pretty much hit it on the head. Um, the the core characters in DC are characters who can go into outer space, mm -hmm. you know, and, and can do that on a regular basis. Um, but you look at the core characters of X-Men or Spider-Man or even the Avengers, you know, uh, sure, you've got Thor, um, but he's like the exception to the rule. You know, mm -hmm. in general, most of the Avengers are these down-to-earth um, characters with they're 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 not super titans in a sense you know um so you know i i i can remember back in the day when i was a kid you'd have these comment these comics where you know the flash would race have a have a speed race against superman to see who was actually faster in terms of speed and and, and things like that and marvel you just don't have that same kind of sense of ultimate awesome power and i i think you know green lantern exudes that and that's why you you know he, he's he's in outer space and you've got all these other aliens and that just doesn't seem to fit with batman yeah. how does batman fit into that um it, it, it's it's far beyond the, the problems of of a modern day vigilante trying to walk this line between you know is he breaking the law or is he helping to uphold the law um, but at the same time, Green Lantern is, was, was, as we talked about, very much a kind of redundant film in many ways with, with other hero films. And it just, I, it was less, less than interesting for me. Um, it, it could have been a lot more had it taken maybe, maybe a darker tone. I, somebody was saying that, you know, if you look at it from the perspective of a kid's movie, it's great. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, if you shift your perspective and you look at it, say, all right, this is a f more of a family movie. You take kids to it; kids are gonna love it. They're gonna want to go out and buy a plastic ring, and and yeah, I, I I could get behind that when I think of it like that. But I think that that tone wasn't even all that well balanced because you have some really serious stuff in there. I mean, you have the the uh, well, I guess it's a spoiler, but you have some really dark stuff in there. You yeah. know, the violence, the yeah. violence. Um, the fart cloud. So it, yeah, I wish. Yeah, the fart cloud. You know, <laughs> you know, you have the fart cloud. You know, literally burning up people in the street of a city. You know, that's yeah. that's some really serious stuff. You got really serious death here. You know, if they had gone, you know, more of a kids route. I'm not saying that to go speed racer it, but I, I'm just saying that went with a lighter, more playful tone. I think it would be a little more inventive, uh, a little more interesting to watch in mm. a way. Yeah, yeah, um, and. You know, I, I guess we can expect more of that same kind of thing. I just saw the, I guess it's sort of the new trailer for Captain America. Um, and it, it seems to follow that same kind of tone, that same kind of, it, it's more about the humanity uh, uh, than the super abilities of, of the character. So I'll we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, you, you mentioned the Hulk and 
the, the, the problems with the Hulk and having, you know, daddy issues. I think the the first Hulk had movie issues more than anything else. <laughs> well, the, I like the first Hulk, did actually. You? I, I, yeah, yeah, I like the first Hulk. I, I don't I, think they've gotten the Hulk right yet. I'm, I, I didn't I'm like the second Hulk as much. Um, but I think both films do deal with more human issues. Uh, yeah. Even Spider-Man, you know, a lot of human issues, yeah. coming of age, stuff like that, than, say, you know, DC. I mean, expect, the exception of um, Batman. I mean, Superman, you know, he's... He, what is he, what is Superman dealing with? You know, being too perfect. Spandex issues. Being, being the yeah. nice guy. Yeah. The nice guy never, you know, you know that, nice that, guy. That spandex, uh, you get a little bit of crypt, kryptonite dust in there and it starts to chafe and that's bad. Yeah, it's like that's really the biggest <laughs> issue he's dealing with. I'm just, you know, it's hard to imagine a Superman movie, even though they keep doing it. It's hard to imagine a Superman movie in this day and age. Yeah. I think it's too Spider-Man perfect. has issues if he's on Broadway. <laughs> and then it's safety <laughs> issues, right? <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for comments, right? So uh, thanks for comments. And uh, again, we appreciate feedback and comments. And if you are out there and you would like to comment on the show, you can do so over at the website, www.concast.com. Take part in the conversation that we have over there or leave us some feedback on iTunes. We would love to uh, hear some feedback, uh, positive or negative. We are always welcome to constructive criticism. If you'd like to follow along with uh, what we're doing, you can follow the show at twitter.com slash concast, or you can follow Mr. Ma and his daily musings and writings at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. Um, Shelly, are you on Twitter? Is there a place where people can follow what you do? Uh, well, I am on Twitter. I don't say much insightful things, so though. It's uh, at, at uh, Shelly. It's S-H-E-W-W-E-Y. All right. So you can follow along with... Uh, what, what what she talks about Korean dramas and uh, and whatnot, right? Is that mostly what you tweet about, or how handsome movies. certain <laughs> idols are? Korean movies, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, all right, I lost my train of thought. That's great. That's it for this episode. That's it, Anna. <laughs> uh, email. You can email the show at eScreen at gmail.com. You can send us an audio file, and we might just play it here on the show. A uh, big thanks to Shelly for coming and joining us. It was a pleasure to have you here and to pick your brain about movies. Um, think you'll come back? We'd love to have you back. Yay, sure. Yeah. Um, and as always, thanks to Mr. Kevin Ma, the better half of the podcast that we know as East Screen, West Screen. It's and weird, just call me the... better half. <laughs> <laughs> all of the stuff that he brings to the episode to make sense of my musings and ramblings um next time next show episode 73 we'll be talking about uh transformers spark of the moon no dark dark of the moon or transformers 3 or michael bay's revenge or something like that right um hopefully we'll have another guest on at that time and i'm considering to also cover because we don't have a new um east screen movie between now and next week we're We've got Beach Spike with Chrissy Chow uh, coming down the pipe, but that'll be in two weeks. So for the next episode, I'm thinking about doing a, a new direct-to-DVD release called Chase Our Love. What do you think about that, Mr. Ma? That means I have to watch the movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's what we do, right? We watch movies. Um, yes. So that'll be possibly for next time. Definitely talking about Transformers and possibly Chase Our Love. Um, so, yeah, that will be that will be then. And this is now. And as always, we will wish you good viewing, and we will see you next time. See you next time, everybody.
Bye-bye.